0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Switched Podcast. Today, I am back yet again in my recording studio and uh, yet again sitting here ready to chat with you guys about different things. I figured this week's episode would be a little bit of like a update on my life and where I'm sitting at, in addition to talking about a, an interesting uh, technology-based struggle I've been having recently. Um, And so this episode is dubbed the smartwatch debacle of 2020. Let's get right into it. Recently, I've been getting back into smartwatches and smart wearables and stuff like that, mainly because some of my coworkers and some relatives and some friends have been getting different smartwatches and, uh, it's made me remember my smartwatch struggles, and it's made me want to put back on my smartwatches, um, because probably about a year or two ago, I spent a month just being obsessed with smartwatches, maybe even longer than that. I was, like, I was, I got my first smartwatch when I was a senior in high school, um, And I was researching it for so long and then I finally bought it And I wore the watch basically for the entirety of my senior year And then uh, once I graduated high school and I went to college I got a new smartwatch uh, and due to me not liking it as much I ended up not wearing it and I never put the old one back on So I just kind of stopped wearing smartwatches And recently, thanks to all of my buddies and whatnot getting smartwatches and stuff like that, different people I know getting smartwatches, I've had an urge to put back on the watches to get back into it. So I thought I'd go over some stuff, uh, some of my experiences with smartwatches and maybe talk a little bit about my recommendations for smartwatches and stuff like that. Uh, So basically my smartwatch experience started out with uh in 2018 with the pebble time i became aware of uh smartwatches around 2017 2018 uh mainly due to i believe that being around the time that one of the first most popular Apple Watches came out, and I remember a lot of YouTubers that I watched were making videos on smartwatches, and it was just kind of like the Gen 1 era of smartwatches, and they'd been around for quite a while before that, but, like, that's when, like, it really felt like people were starting to take notice on smartwatches and really starting to wear them. It seemed like more and more people were wearing Apple Watches, and more and more people were wearing smartwatches in general, Fitbits, all that kind of shit. Um and I went ahead and started researching a smartwatch for myself. And in my uh in my search for a smart device to throw on my wrist, I encountered um on Amazon a listing for a smartwatch for like literally sixty dollars called the Pebble Time. And I was like, Oh, that's a really funny name. So I started looking up research on this watch. And it turns out that this uh, smartwatch company uh, had just released their newest generation of smartwatches, and it was the, the Pebble 2 and the Pebble Time Round, I believe, were the newest ones at the time. Uh, and because of that, they were having a sale on their Pebble Time 1s, and I was like, oh, well, this watch looks pretty good. All the reviews were saying that the battery life was really good and that the actual use, uh, ease of use and stuff like that was really good. And I was like, oh, well, awesome. Okay, I'll get that one. And I bought it, and I, from the moment it got into my mailbox um, and I slapped it on my wrist until the moment that I got my next smartwatch, I had that sucker on. I would occasionally forget it at my girlfriend's house whenever I'd go over and visit her uh, because i take it off while we were watching movies and stuff because uh, I just didn't want it buzzing and distracting me during the movies. But otherwise, I was basically always wearing the watch. And the Pebble Time was created by this company called Pebble um, who started off making smart watches by kick-starting the original Pebble um, back in the years prior, I don't exactly have the dates down or anything, uh, but their watches were well known for being simple, with good battery life, and, uh, just basically only the essentials, minimal smart watches, and, uh, I was, I was really interested in their company, I did a lot of research before I bought the watch, but basically my Pebble Time, uh, While it didn't have any of the fancier things like heart rate monitoring or GPS or anything like that, it did everything I needed it to do. It had custom watch faces, it had music control, it could take my steps and count my steps, it could count my sleep hours if I wanted to do that. I could synchronize it with my Google Calendar and I could see when assignments were due on my watch. Um, and it even played a couple little smaller games to keep me occupied when I didn't want to pull out my phone or when I couldn't pull out my phone. And all in all, the Pebble time did basically everything I ever needed it to. Um, and I remember wearing it when I first started work. When I was working, I started wearing it, and it got all scratched up, but it still works perfectly fine. The screen's a little scratched. And the outer shell is a little scratched. But otherwise the watch is still functioning to this day. And it has a reasonably nice looking e-paper display. It's not particularly high resolution. Um, and it's definitely. You can definitely tell that it's not a traditional LCD or OLED screen. Uh, but because of the fact that it's an e-paper display. The battery literally lasts like so long. Uh, I've made it seven days best case scenario like four four ish days worst case scenario of course when i was using it for a bunch of apps and shit uh sometimes i'd have two to one day battery life when i was constantly touching the watch or when i was playing tetris on it or when i was constantly controlling uh unified remote on it and shit like that uh but all in all it did everything I wanted it to do. The battery life was phenomenal. And it was really just a great watch. And I really, really liked it. And it honestly does everything I need. I don't really care about the health, fitness stuff too much. Uh, but if it, if I wanted, it had the steps, which was nice. I don't know. I really didn't care about that too much. But anyway, uh, when I graduated high school, I was heading off to college, and I had a little bit extra graduation money. And I was like, I should give myself a little graduation gift. So I decided to upgrade from my Pebble um, to the TicWatch E. And uh, a lot of people online were saying that the TicWatch E was the perfect upgrade path from the Pebble. Uh, due to its simplicity, decent battery life, and good list of features that match the pebble and I was like oh awesome so I went out and dropped $130 double what I spent on my pebble on a TicWatch E and the TicWatch E ran Wear OS it could definitely do a lot more than my pebble you could straight up view album art while you're controlling your music on there and there was uh, swipe to text Uh, there was tap keyboard type to text, there was way more apps, way more watch faces, though I always had trouble finding one that I really liked. My Pebble was always set to this watch face called like a 9.2 Dub or something like that and I really liked that one and that's the one that I still use on it to this day. Um, but I always found myself switching the watch face on my Tic Watch, and I couldn't really pick one that I liked the best. And That was one of my first problems I had with it. Otherwise, I connected it up to my phone. It did everything. This one actually had heart rate sensing, which was interesting. Uh, It made me concerned about my health when I realized my resting heart rate is really high. Uh, But other than that, I didn't use the health features too much. I genuinely don't care about the health features of a watch too much. I more need a watch for three main things. I needed to tell the time. I prefer digital time, uh, even though I can read analog clocks, obviously. But I prefer digital time, uh, and I want it to be able to show all my notifications. Even replying to text messages isn't too important to me, but it's nice to have. Um, and I needed to be able to control my music. I want to see how far along in my podcast I am. I want to be able to play, pause, skip. Music, that kind of thing, right on the screen. And the Tick Watch did that, and the Pebble did that. But um, the area where the Tick Watch struggled was performance. Since the Pebble was relatively simple in terms of what it did and how it did it, the performance was always top-notch, and it was very snappy. Actually, like other than having to wait for a couple loading screens. For certain apps or to send a text. Uh, whenever it got onto the music player, playing and pausing was almost instantaneous. Uh, viewing the notifications for messages was almost instantaneous. And everything was really great. And that was on top of the fact that the battery lasts so goddamn long. Literally, the battery lasts a good four to seven days on average. And then after the battery died, before it fully died, uh, the battery died, and then it shows a regular old digital clock on the screen for like another two days, three days, before it really dies. So after seven, uh, five to seven days, you lose all the smartwatch features, but the battery still has enough juice to display just the time. And I think the way they ended up doing that was they had a backup uh, battery inside of the watch that charged when you charged the the watch itself and that backup battery was a simple regular clock battery that displays behind the, the regular clock and it just knows to turn it on once the battery in the, for the main watch in the smartwatch features dies but either way that was so neat literally I would rarely find myself I think in the entire time I had my watch my tick or my Pebble watch. Uh, It only ever completely died twice. And then there were some times where I forgot to plug it in, but otherwise it only ever truly completely died twice. And that was amazing. I love that watch so much. Um, And then the Tick watch, I got that in. And due to the way that watch was optimized, I found myself barely able to make it through even a day with that watch. Uh, I guess I'm a bit of a power user but that watch, due to how nice the screen was and how much power it was packing and what I was using it for, um, it was constantly draining battery. Like, it was chugging battery life. It was insane. And I found my tick watch only barely lasting me maybe two days at most at any given time. And that was like one day of decent ish use. And then the battery, uh, the low battery mode would start and it would restrict a bunch of the watch features like vibration and stuff and then the second day it would last probably like halfway through the day with low battery mode where it wouldn't vibrate or anything so it was kind of pointless so that watch's battery life was just so bad compared to the the Pebble and I know I'm probably just complaining here um, but I was so used to the Pebble I just could not take the battery life that was for the tick watch E and it was really, really kind of annoying and it made me hate the watch. And I stopped wearing it almost a week after I got it. Um, And did I return it? No, I didn't want to admit that I uh, didn't end up liking the watch cause I spent $130 on it. So I just sucked it up and I would wear it like probably once a week or so. Otherwise I just, it just sat on my desk. It literally just sat on my desk And after a while, that's the, that's just kind of how it was. I stopped wearing it altogether and I didn't wear a watch all the way up until like last week, two weeks ago is when I was thinking about putting that watch back on. But then I thought about how it sucked and I was like, well, why don't I just get out my pebble and put my pebble back on? And I did. Um, I found out that pebble had been bought out by Fitbit and, uh, the watch was no longer able to connect officially to the Pebble services anymore. And this happened right before I got my Tick watch, and it was one of my main contributing factors to wanting to upgrade to the Tick watch. Well, when I went to go use the watch again a couple of weeks ago, I found that a lot of people had put in their own fan-made fixes to make the Pebble work good as new. And, uh, I managed to get it up and running and I've been using it for the last couple days and I forgot how convenient it is to have all that right on your wrist. I miss this watch so much, but I've got it slapped on there right now and that's where I'm sitting at, but I actually have a new, uh, new era of smartwatches about to start that I'd like to talk about next. So for about a week now, I've had my new watch, and that new watch is the Fitbit Versa 2. Um, Now, I briefly touched upon the fact in the last segment that uh, the company that made my previous smartwatch, my first smartwatch, I should say, the Pebble Time, uh, Pebble, was purchased and bought out by Fitbit, (laughs) and this came to my great, great, great disappointment because... I was a huge fan of the Pebble smartwatches, and if I'm being honest with you to this day, I don't think there's any watch that can truly touch the Pebble. The Pebble is just the perfect blend of simplicity, excellent battery life, and just great control, great use, great quality, Um, but that being said, Fitbit bought out Pebble, um, so therefore Pebble was now in the hands of Fitbit and they put the Pebble guys to work on working on their next line of smartwatches they wanted to make Fitbits with screens Uh, and out of that came the Versa line of smartwatches uh, that were made in part by the original Pebble guys and there are currently two of them out uh, the Fitbit Versa 2 which is the one I got came out in mid-2019, if I remember correctly, and it's got a lot of uh, Pebble-esque features to it, Um, and it's in quite a similar form factor to the Pebble as well, Uh, so I thought I'd share some of my initial thoughts. I'm thinking about doing possibly a review video about this watch, so I don't want to go into too much detail about all this. Because I'm thinking about possibly doing a review of it, and that would kind of spoil the fun of the review. Um, But the main things I use a smartwatch for, as I mentioned before in this podcast, are replying to texts, uh, reading notifications, and controlling my music, and of course reading time, you know, that's a given. Uh, So the big things that are important to me are music control, battery life, and notifications. And... Uh, So far, the Versa 2 has won in two out of the three main important things for me. Uh, The battery life so far has been very much good enough. I've always been able to hit about two plus days with it at least. Um, I'm sitting on... day two of not charging it right now i've been kind of just putting it on the charging stand whenever i feel like it so i haven't ran it to dead yet um which is a good sign but yeah uh i've i'm on day two of running it right now it'll probably get charged here soon because i don't know if i want to let it run all the way out till it's dead uh but the battery life seems perfectly fine right now And while I know it's probably not as good as the pebbles, uh, it'll definitely be suitable. Um, and then the other part that works just fine is the notifications and texting. Uh, I can reply to texts either using my voice, um, using canned messages, which is just stuff like yes, no, on my way, that kind of thing. You can just send those kind of text messages from the watch. And then also emoji. And it works identically to the Pebble. And it's actually really, really slick. And it's more or less what I expected slash wanted out of my smartwatch. And i got to say, I'm I'm pretty impressed with the notification control. I'm pretty impressed with the battery life. But that leaves us with music control. And that's the place where, honestly, um, the Fitbit is falling way behind from the pebble time and the pebble time came out way back i think the pebble time might have been a 2012 release and this watch came out last year and it it can't even get close to doing uh, music control as well as my pebble time could my pebble time uh came with a music controller app that worked just fine for basic things um, but I always downloaded a third-party music control app called Music Boss. And Music Boss let you customize virtually everything about the music controller. It showed time stamps, play, pause, volume up, volume down, uh, skipping tracks, that kind of thing. It was really, really great, actually. And I got to say, I, I truly love the music control on my Pebble. And... As much as I like this Fitbit, it is nowhere near as close to perfect music control as my Pebble was. So, on the Fitbit, there are t- three main ways to control music. And out of these out of these three main ways, two of the ways are the ways you're supposed to do it, and the other way is the way that works the best. And that's already, like, you probably hearing that as like, oh, really? Jesus Christ. So... The three ways you can do it, the two official ways is by, A, downloading the Spotify app on your Fitbit and controlling it over Bluetooth, um, connected to the Spotify app on your phone or your laptop or your computer, that kind of thing. And that works okay. I could not get it to stay connected to my spotify account consistently it just once i'd pause the music for longer than like 30 seconds it would lose uh it would lose connection to my spotify and it would not be able to continue the music and that was so annoying i love using my watch when i'm in situations where i'm listening to music on my bluetooth earbuds and i can't really touch the earbud itself, or I just need to quickly play pause because somebody's talking to me or something like that. And it kept disconnecting on the Spotify app for Fitbit. And I was really disappointed in it. Um, and so that one was working okay, but it was just, it was not good enough. And I was literally considering returning the Fitbit for the reason that it was not working the way it should have. And then the other way to control music that's the main two official ways is through the Music Controller app on the Fitbit. And I had high hopes for this one um, because the Music Controller app on my Pebble was so universal. It could literally grab any music source or video source on my phone and play and pause it, fast-forward it, volume up and down. Uh, It was so perfect. And unfortunately, I am sorry to report the fitbit music control app is horrible now your your mileage may vary um, but in all the sources that i tried using with it uh, it was not wanting to work correctly i could get it to play and pause from time to time and volume was working uh, but fast forwarding and skipping were being very spotty And to make matters worse, there's no indicator if the music is played or paused. And there's no uh, scrubbing bar or time bar at all on the Music Control app. Literally when you hit the play button, it's literally just a play button. And the play button toggles it between play and pause. But it doesn't show you which one it is. And it's a minor thing, but it's really annoying. And honestly, the Music Control On the Fitbit, Versa at least, is just not the best. Honestly, I'm not impressed at all. And it's one of the major downsides of the watch. Fortunately, there is a third way to control the music coming from your phone that the watch is connected to. And this way works actually fairly well. It's definitely not pretty, uh, but when you start the music on your phone, uh, your watch buzzes and sends you a notification with the notification uh, that the music is playing from the app. So like on Spotify, if I'm playing a podcast or a song, it pops up with a little play pause notification. uh, And my watch buzzes and it says Spotify currently playing this. And it's supposed to represent the notification that I got on my phone. Well, anyway, Um, that notification, ironically enough, on the watch, utilizing, uh, what would be the buttons on the notification on the phone, um, can play, pause, fast forward, and skip better than either of the official main ways you're supposed to control music. I can flawlessly, for the most part, play, pause, skip, fast forward, my music from the notification but the official controlling apps don't actually work the way they should and I was just so surprised by this literally the notification area worked the best it straight up shows like the words play pause fast forward 15 seconds rewind 15 seconds volume up volume down skip song previous song it shows just like word buttons for them and it takes up the whole screen and you have to scroll but they work perfectly like you hit the play button and it play and pauses the uh, Spotify or any other music player perfectly and it works flawlessly compared to the the music control app or the Spotify app itself and I was so surprised that the notifications worked better than the actual music control apps. Um, And since I figured that out, I was fine with the fact that the music control wasn't the best because that actually works fairly decently. Um, So I was okay with that. And I've learned to work with uh, that lack of having perfect music control, but it's at least manageable. That's what I'm trying to say. It's not the best. It's not great. It's just manageable. And I am so surprised that a watch that's so much older than this Fitbit Versa 2 that I'm wearing around my wrist right now can do music control so much better. It's just, it really is a testament that uh, what Pebble had going for it was truly a proper smartwatch experience. And it's still one of the best smartwatches available. And the company doesn't even exist anymore. That, it's fucking crazy. Now you may be wondering, why then am I not just taking back the Fitbit and going back to the Pebble? And the reasoning for that is pretty simple. Uh, the, since the Pebble is no longer officially supported by anything, it's the company doesn't exist. So there's no support for the Pebble at all. It's not receiving proper updates, and therefore, um, it's only a matter of time before the Pebble becomes incompatible with modern smartphones. I actually went and set it up recently, and I had an issue where it would not connect to my phone because my phone was running Android 10 and it was built to run on Android 8. And it took a lot of finagling and messing around in the settings. Thankfully, I was savvy enough. To figure it out And I managed to get it all synced up And paired and working properly But any regular person Using that watch would not be able to figure it out I don't feel like Or if they did they they would be getting lucky And that is the big problem here Even though there has been A community app store released Called Rebel um, And You can even pay a monthly subscription To keep voice dictation working On the pebble it's just not enough it's it needs to be properly updated there needs to be a replacement app created which people are working on them uh and i tried one it was called like uh what was it called gadget bridge that's what it was called and gadget bridge worked fine but just not good enough as it needs to be and it, the app was a little too buggy to be work work good enough i guess you could say And honestly, the main problem and the main reason why I decided to stick with the Fitbit Versa 2 and not just go back to my time-trusted Pebble uh, is simply due to compatibility. There's no way that this watch is going to keep working into the future because of the fact that it's ever becoming more and more obsolete in terms of its compatibility with current hardware and software. And it's really such a shame, because honestly, the Pebble Time has to be the best smartwatch I've ever used, hands down. And the battery life is great, and all the little animations that play on the Pebble Time screen are just so cute and charming, and the battery life is great, since I already said that before, but I just really want to emphasize, the battery literally lasts like a week! It's so awesome! And the music control works perfectly. And the texting and everything on it is phenomenal. And it even has voice te- voice texting. And I remember when I actually could use it officially, it worked just as good as my, my Fitbit Versa 2's voice texting does. Pebble was truly ahead of its time. And the Versa 2 is definitely the closest thing I've used to a Pebble in modern day. It's still not quite there. But fortunately for Fitbit, uh, the Versa 2 is still being supported and it's still being updated and that's the only thing that makes it worth picking up over the Pebble. The Pebble is dead. I want it back so badly but Fitbit bought it and now they're making them make inferior products that still work and I'm still going to end up wearing on my wrist anyway. But yeah, that's my little spiel about smartwatches. If you're really looking for a smartwatch to wear, if you have an iPhone, no questions asked, get a Gen 3 Apple Watch. Apple Watches are probably the best smartwatches available. Um, Probably, other than the battery life, they definitely beat the pebble. And I really wish I could have an Apple Watch. This is a rare instance where you'll find me saying I wish I could have an Apple product. Uh, Because the Apple Watch is genuinely the best smartwatch available right now. It does everything I'd ever want from a smart device. The only thing is you have to charge it every night, which is a little annoying. But it really is the best smartwatch available right now. So if you have an Apple device, buy, uh, buy the Apple Watch. Gen 3 or newer is fine. Literally, Gen 3s are still really good. Um, and if you're looking for a smartwatch for Android, if you're tech-savvy enough to fuck with a pebble and you're willing to understand that your Pebble probably will only get like one or two good years out of it before you'll even have trouble connecting it to your phone, Uh, then get a Pebble because the Pebble is the best. Otherwise, I guess I'd recommend going for a Fitbit Versa. Uh, If you don't care about some of the features, you can get a Fitbit Versa Lite. Uh, The screen looks a little not as good. Uh, There's no Alexa built into the watch, which I don't really use that much anyway. So... Um, But the Versa Lite is definitely a good smartwatch option for Android users. And if you really want to go balls to the walls, Versa 2, perfectly fine as well. Hopefully, somebody releases something that can replace the Pebble someday. I really, really, really wish that Pebble was not bought out. And it's such a shame. But um, that's the way it goes, I suppose, just another amazing developer slash company gone but uh, otherwise I know I've heard a maze Fit, some like Chinese company has a watch that the battery lasts 40 days on it and apparently it's relatively similar to the Pebble but it does not have music control which is such a huge thing for me uh, so I had to pass on that one but uh, that might be something to look into as well. It's called uh, the Amaze Fit Bip. Um, and other than the fact you have to sell your soul to some Chinese company who's probably selling all your data, uh, apparently that's a really good watch, and it has literally the best battery life I've ever heard of from a smartwatch. Um, and other than that, there's a couple other watches that are trying to get on the level of the Fitbit and the original Pebble and the Apple Watch. Um, and even surpassed them, but I don't know. To me, nothing's really past the pebble time. The pebble time, I think, is and will be the best smartwatch I've ever used, at least for some years to come. There might be something better eventually. I have hope. Alright, so let's move on from rambling about smartwatches, and let's get on to the other topic of this podcast. Let's talk about where my life is sitting and how I'm doing. So, at the time of recording this segment, it's May 27th, um, and I finished school a while ago now, and my semester went pretty well. Well learned lots of useful information about computer programming and lots of fun stuff was done it was a good time uh so i'll be going back in a couple of months right now the days have basically just been looking like this wake up hang out go to work come home go to bed wake up hang out go to work go home go to bed that kind of thing You know, it's been basically a vicious cycle over the course of the last, probably, four weeks or so, um, and you can't forget Animal Crossing. I've been putting at least 30 minutes to an hour into Animal Crossing every single day, uh, you know, working on that town, inching ever closer to that five-star rating and completing my mortgage. I believe I'm actually on the second-to-last one right now, so... I've got quite a ways to go. I could finish the game if I started dedicating way, way, way more time to it, but I've really just been kind of letting me slowly accumulate funds by selling my fruit every three or four days or so. So that's how that's been working out for me. Uh, but otherwise, I've been beating lots of games. I went ahead and beat Half-Life Alex finally, the VR game. That was a blast. Um... And I beat Black Mesa, the recreation of Half-Life 1. That was also a blast. And I'm soon going to beat Doom Eternal. I was waiting for the update to come out that removed the De Denuvo anti-cheat because I did not want to install it on my computer. And the update came out today, and I, did a, I popped on and I did a little bit of practice to try to get back into the game since it's been about a week since I last played it. Uh, and it looks like over the course of the next week or so I'm probably going to beat that game. And then I'm planning on looping back around and completing uh, some Zelda games that I'm missing out on, Luigi's Mansion 3, uh, some PlayStation games like Detroit Become Human, and a couple other things like that. So that's what I've been playing recently, and that's what I will be playing here in the future. Um, the other day, I hung out with the boys and we watched the Sonic the Hedgehog movie. Why don't we talk about that? We'll get a little a little encompass. Encum- and well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about the Sonic movie let's go Sonic the Hedgehog a classic video game series I own almost every Sonic game to release to date uh, and yet I haven't beat a single one Sonic is probably my, my favorite video game series to buy and play like, the first three levels and then not finish the game I literally bought Sonic Mania on PC when it first came out, and then I bought it again on my Switch with Sonic Mania Plus. Haven't beat it on either platforms. I own the Sonic Collection on my PC, um, and I've played, of course, bits of Sonic 1, 2, Sonic 3, and Knuckles. I have not played CD. I played a little Generations. I played... I actually don't own Sonic Forces, so I definitely don't own, like, every Sonic game, but I own a lot of them, um, Sonic Colors I've played, I love just playing, like, a handful of levels from the Sonic games, the only Sonic game I've ever owned and completely beaten was the first Sonic game that I ever owned, and it was Sonic Heroes on the GameCube, and I beat that one as all the teams, um, and I really enjoyed that game, and I really liked that game and I think that's where my main love of Sonic has come from and That game is not like any of the other sonic games so i uh I'm not a mega Sonic fan like Sammy classic Sonic fan is, but I've played through and beat Sonic Heroes, and I own pretty much every other sonic game so i I like sonic sonic's fine, and modern Sonic recently has been a been getting a bit better, I feel like. Sonic Boom was trash, obviously. Sonic Forces was pretty trash from what I hear. But in general, I like the design of modern Sonic. And I like the way... um, I like his voice actor that he has right now. Um, Like, if you go on the Sonic Twitter, whenever he does video replies, the voice actor that does those video replies is a very good representation of Sonic. And I quite like the voice actor. But... Um, one of the bigger things to happen in the Sonic franchise recently was the release of the Sonic movie. Uh, and I don't remember exactly when it released. All I know is, in my head, I saw it as, like, Detective Pikachu, basically. So it was like, I'm probably gonna see this at some point. I'm definitely gonna see this at some point. Um, but I'm not gonna take too much time to go and see it. I actually did want to see, uh, Detective Pikachu, in theaters, but I never got around to it, but the Sonic movie, I did not have any particular desire to see that in theaters, because it just looks sort of like, you know, it looked like it'd be fine, but it didn't didn't look amazing or anything. I gotta say first and foremost about the Sonic movie, thank God they redid Sonic. It would have looked so bad if they kept the old Sonic. It would have degraded the movie to such an extent that it would have been like... It would have taken the movie from like a solid 6-7 to like a 3-4. Just off of the shitty look of the original designed Sonic for the movie alone. It would have gone from a 6 or a 7 out of 10 for me to a 3 or 4. And that's saying something. The film uh, did a lot of things right. It also did a lot of things wrong. Uh, I feel like one of the main things that really benefited the Sonic movie is they really separated it as far as possible from the Sonic lore. Sonic just has this fucking massive set of different lore things, and there are so many different characters, and the Sonic universe is expansive, and a lot of shit has happened, and it's really just crazy. Like, the Sonic universe is massive. And to, to introduce new people to Sonic through this movie is not a bad way to introduce them to Sonic. It's very watchable for somebody who has not played a Sonic game because they don't talk about all that lore shit. They literally just cut it all out. They just gutted it. And it feels a lot like what it feels like to play Sonic the Hedgehog for Sega Genesis, while ignoring the fact that there were so many sequels to Sonic. It just feels like a really solid separate thing, and I I quite like that. Um, That being said, Biggs the Cat should have been in the movie 0 out of 10. No, jokes aside, Biggs the Cat is my favorite Sonic character, but... Uh, it was a very, very fine movie. They did the they did the over the hedge slash uh, X Men Quicksilver thing, where they had multiple scenes in the film where time was slowed down for everyone else, but the character in question. In this case, it was Sonic, uh, and I actually quite liked those scenes. I didn't when I saw that there was a second one in the film. I was like, "Are you fucking serious?" But all my buddies that were watching the movie with me were like. Oh, uh, that's, that's fine. It's actually cool. These are the coolest scenes in the film, so whatever. But I kind of thought that the fact that they had two was kind of milking it, and I was like, really? They're going to do two slow-mo, slow-down time scenes? What? Um, and you can tell they changed a lot about the movie and the editing and stuff like that because there is a lot of scenes from the trailer that just were not included in the final release of the film. Uh, and it's pretty weird to think about. There was, like, the Fitbit joke in the trailer where Sonic, like, uh, is running or something. And then he stops and he's, like, deflecting missiles and shit. And then he's like, oh! And he checks his wrist and he's like, I just hit 10 billion steps on my Fitbit. Wow. It's like, ha, ha, ha. A lot of the really horrible, horrible jokes like that were kind of cut from the film. Some were not. Some of the jokes were hit perfectly fine. They were relatively funny. Uh like one of the ones that really sticks out to me is there's this one part where this little girl kind of becomes friends with Sonic for a reason that I'll keep out of the out of this discussion for the fact that it has a bit of a spoiler in it um but there's a little girl who's friends with Sonic and her mom is sitting in a chair tied up and she's running in circles around the chair just going, gotta go fast, gotta go fast, gotta go fast, gotta go fast I, I fucking, like, was die I burst out laughing And my friends were just like Why are you laughing? Because <laughs> it's fucking funny She's running around in circles um, The story was very quick The whole movie felt super fast To the point where it was like Hello, I'm Sonic And this is, I'm on Earth And this is what I do on Earth All right, now, here is the plot. Boom, boom, boom. Shit's happening. All right, the end. And uh, it honestly was just very, very fast. That's the main downside to the plot of the film. It seemed like it was setting up for, like, a long two-hour film, but it was just an hour and 30 minutes, and it was very, very quick pace. And that both helped and hurt the film. Um, Because it didn't overstay its welcome, but it also felt so rushed. Uh, But I gotta say, I did actually enjoy it, and I also did not like the voice actor for Sonic at all. (laughs) Uh, He did an okay job, don't get me wrong, but compared to the modern Sonic voice actor, John Ralphio, that's not the actual name, he plays the character John Ralphio in uh, Parks and Rec, but whoever whatever his actual name is because I forget but John Ralphio did an okay job voicing Sonic but his his voice was a little like there was something about it that was just like oh it just kind of hit me in the wrong spot if you know what I'm saying uh there was quite a bit of references to the Sonic universe um and all of them kind of were just like okay whatever Uh, but the, the really funny one was there was this character in the town of Green Hills where the story takes place, and people call, everybody called him, like, Crazy Pete or something like that, and everybody thought he was crazy because he was talking about how he saw the Blue Devil, and he drew, he sketched a picture of the Blue Devil to show everyone in town, and of course the Blue Devil is actually Sonic the Hedgehog, and, uh, he's trying to remain a secret to everybody in the town, but this this crazy crackpot old man saw him and started calling him the Blue Devil and warning everybody about the Blue Devil in the woods. Well, he draws a picture of the Blue Devil, quote-unquote, and it literally is Sanic, like the meme Sanic. It looks just like the meme, and it's it fucking, me and my buddies were just cracking up over it they managed to sneak Sonic into the film and make it fit into the lore of the film and it was hilarious I can't believe they managed to do that. that that was like all fan service and they didn't have to do that and they did which was pretty impressive but uh I gotta say all in all the Sonic movie was like probably a solid six or seven for me um they're probably definitely going to do the sequel a sequel as you can tell uh from the ending of the film if you guys have seen the film and uh Jim Carrey definitely carried the film on his back for probably about 80 to 90 percent of it but that was totally expected of course and honestly it was just a fun albeit very fast-paced and quick film uh that just kind of is probably a an easy one to forget about because it was so quick but it was fine it was fine fine film now that i've talked about sonic the hedgehog and i've talked about watches and i've talked a little bit about my life i figured why not round out this variety episode by talking a bit about a game Uh, so recently, I've actually been in a bit of a beating games mood, and I've actually beat quite a few games. I've beaten, like, three, four games recently, and it's kind of awesome, and it feels pretty good compared to what I normally do, which is play a game for, like, four hours and then just quit it. Um, but anyway, the other day, I beat Doom Eternal, and I was going to save my Doom Eternal review because I had the idea to do a podcast episode where I reviewed Doom Eternal and Animal Crossing. But Animal Crossing is taking a bit longer to beat than I originally thought. So, let's talk about Doom Eternal. So, Doom Eternal uh, is id Software's sequel to the rebooted Doom from 2016. Uh, and I picked up that game probably 2017-ish because... I was waiting for a sale on it, and uh, I picked it up for $20, and I played probably about four hours of that game and then stopped playing it, and the reason I stopped playing Doom 2016 was because it was honestly just like, the colors were all the same, it was just, it all takes place on Mars, and all of the colors are just orange, everything you see orange, 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 and the final level of the game I know is in Hell as well, but that's still just fucking orange, so the whole game is orange and black, and it just was not very appealing to the eyes, and even when you're inside the space stations, everything's just really dark and grimy, and it was really fun, don't get me wrong, I had tons of fun, you know, shooting the demons, fucking ripping them apart, that kind of thing, uh, it was just too repetitive with all of the colors being the same, and all the shit being exactly the same, and, it just felt like the game was just kind of a little bit dreary. I know I'm, it's kind of a weird thing to complain about for a game that's literally takes place on Mars and hell about killing demons, but the game just didn't suck me in because it was too drab. Well, Doom 2020, I guess, is what it would be called. Uh, Doom Eternal is the complete opposite. Uh, Doom Eternal takes place on Earth similarly to the original Doom series is Doom Two Hell on Earth. Uh, and that means that there's a lot more variety in level design and a lot more variety in colors that it had the chance to use for the game. There's an ice world level, there's a lot of like old ancient temples, there's like cities, there's different dimensions. Uh, the game is just chock full of color. And it's not just orange. There are a couple of orange levels. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. And funnily enough, those were the least memorable for me. Uh, but there's actually a lot of variety in color in this game. And it's kind of beautiful. I'm not going to lie. Um, they also did this other thing in Doom. Doom 2016 almost tried to take a little bit from the original games. And then a little bit from Doom 3 as well. And Doom 3 was the one that I never got the chance to play. Doom 3 was the one that I... I've dabbled a little bit with the original Doom. uh, Probably the first five levels or so. If there's even five levels in the game again, I haven't really played it that much. Um, And then Doom 2, I've played maybe the first two levels. Uh, So I was... I'm used to those games, and I like those games quite a bit. And they're fairly colorful, surprisingly, for the setting being what it is. Uh... And the hardware limitations of the time, but Doom 3, as far as I can tell, is just, like, dark corridors in a space station or some shit, I've seen videos of it, but that's about it, and it just never really interested me, especially at the time it came out, uh, because I was a very young child playing the Legend of Zelda Wind Waker, so, yeah, no interest in fucking Doom 3, uh, <laughs> but either way, uh, Doom Eternal has so much color. They made it so um, all of the ammo drops and the health drops and the armor drops are super colorful now. I remember in Doom 2016, uh, the armor was blue, which was interesting. And probably the most colorful part about the game was you you were looking out for those blue armor capsules. Well, now every different type of ammo and the health and the armor all have different colors. And they made it so the enemies are kind of like gore pinatas I think as they call them and whenever you kill them uh whether you use like a glory kill uh or you use your chainsaw or you blow the heads off of certain ones different items come out in like a spray and it's fucking awesome looking so like if you chainsaw an enemy uh literally, it gets ripped in half, and at the same time as it's getting ripped in half, it fountains out, like, all different multicolored shit, because it's dropping health, armor, uh, all types of different ammo, and it's really, really, it's really, really interesting looking, actually, and I think the variation in the colors is one of the main things that made me actually stick with Doom Eternal all the way through, compared to Doom 2016, Uh, and, I gotta say, Doom Eternal was such a good game. Um, Doom 2016, it felt very fast-paced, but compared to Doom Eternal, they somehow made Doom Eternal feel even faster than Doom 2016, and I was just so surprised by that, because Doom 2016 already felt very fast-paced. Again, this is coming from a Nintendo fanboy who grew up playing all these, like, slow-paced, fairly deliberate games like Mario and Zelda and that kind of thing. Uh, And, yeah, Doom Eternal was just... It was faster, and it had so many wonderful additions that just made the gameplay flow so nicely. So, basically, the main thing for me was whenever you run out of ammo in one of your guns, uh, Doom Eternal switches to a different weapon, and basically it goes all the way through all your weapons until you run out of ammo... And it becomes this game of shooting all the demons with the weapons you have, and it'll as you run out of ammo on one gun, it'll switch you to a random like the next gun in the wheel, the selection wheel. Um, so it becomes this game of like, okay, my shotgun ran out of ammo. Now I have the rocket launcher. The rocket launcher is probably best for this demon in the area right now. And so it basically it becomes strategy based based on what type of gun you get after your ammo depletes so it creates this flow where you go through and you defeat each enemy and as your ammo runs out you target different groups and then uh, after you run out of ammo for all your weapons you go ahead and switch to the chainsaw you chainsaw one of the weaker demons and get all your ammo back you get i think probably like half or a quarter of ammo for each weapon off of one chainsaw so then you just start your cycle all over again and it's it feels so goddamn good it feels amazing that game it's like it's literally so satisfying and yeah it feels like what I imagine a grandma would feel like if she was crocheting a hat for her grandkids and she just finished crocheting it and she just finishes up and the grandkid puts it on and it fits perfectly that's how i imagine doom eternal would feel that's how i can compare it and the only difference is of course instead of knitting a hat you're tearing through demons and instead of doing it for your grandchild you're doing it to save the fucking planet and the story is interesting enough to keep me in in uh engaged but in the background enough to not interfere with gameplay And each enemy has a different weak spot and a best way to take it down. And you learn that throughout the game. And you really just become super powerful by the end of the game. You get to the point where you know exactly where to shoot each enemy to take it down in the least amount of hits. And it gets to the point where you're just tearing through fucking crowds. And at the end of the game, uh, you end up with your most two powerful weapons. uh, Which, this is a minor spoiler, but you end up with uh, a sword... And you end up with the BFG, which of course stands for Big Fucking Gun. And the sword in the BFG can take out basically every enemy in the game. Exceptions included. Uh, marauder. Um, can take out basically every enemy in the game with a single hit. So the BFG, when you shoot it, a ball of energy comes out. And any enemy that gets close to that ball of energy just fucking disintegrates. And... Uh, it's fucking awesome, and they give you probably, like, two or three, after you get the BFG, you get, like, two or three shots for, from it for each level, because there's, like, one ammo for it scattered out, like, every one-third of the level or so, and it's, it's very well paced how spread out it is. I did find myself, especially near the end of the game, saving the ammo for it way too much, because... Uh, If I have one suggestion for anybody playing this game, do not be afraid to use the BFG. Do not be afraid to use the sword because the final boss fight will have you recharging it a lot. So you don't have to worry about saving your ammo or saving your sword for uh, bigger and better enemies. Basically, the game paces out the ammo for both the sword and the ammo for the gun in such a way that you can just use it right away on a big group of enemies and you'll be fine. You'll get your ammo back before the next opportunity arises. And I was worried that that wasn't going to be the case, but it 100% was. So if I was to replay the game, I would just I'd be way more uh, flexible and I don't even know. I'd be way more loose about how I'd use the BFG and the sword because, honestly, they give you ammo. Not too much to make it so the game's easy, but also not too little to make it so the game... There's no point in using the weapons, and you should save them for the hardest encounters. You have ammo for them when you need it. And uh, speaking of how hard the game is, Doom Eternal for me, I played it on middle of the road. I think it was Hurt Me Plenty. I'm trying to remember. I'm pretty sure the difficulty I played on was Hurt Me Plenty, and that's the normal difficulty. I know most people play Doom on the hardest difficulty, and to those people I say good luck because... I'm a seasoned gamer, again, a Nintendo gamer more than anything, but I've played my fair share of PC shooters. I've played every Half Life game. I've played uh, Borderlands a little bit. I dip my feet in. I've played a lot of different FPSs on PC. And Doom Eternal gave me so much fucking shit. It might just be that I'm not a very good uh, gamer in general because I have a buddy, shout out to Marty. Uh, who also had the game, and he beat it in a little under 19 hours. Well, it took me more like 25, 27 hours, somewhere in that range. And I think it's just because I'm bad at the game, honestly. I'm pretty sure he played on Me Plenty as well. And I just think I'm worse at video games than Marty is. So, uh, your results may vary. I would recommend Medium Difficulty at least. Don't go any less than that. Uh, The game's supposed to be hard, but it's not supposed to be so hard that you just don 't want to fucking play it anymore, uh, but I gotta say it's a hard game, and you will die. But once you get the hang of your arsenal of weapons it 'll become less and less frequent, and it'll feel more and more rewarding as the game goes on um, and there's so much content in the game, seriously, uh I beat the story, but apparently there's a lot of mastery levels, and every month they 're releasing a new mastery level and it's basically a remixed layout of a previously uh finished level that you can play and that just means more levels that just means more content for the game so that's always good um honestly i'm trying to think the they added this platforming mechanic to Doom Eternal um where basically you can double jump and you can dash forward um And they use that in combination with climbing walls and these golden rods you swing on. Uh, And honestly, it feels good most of the time. But my only complaint with the game was that sometimes the platforming was a little too difficult. And not like too difficult to the point where I couldn't do it. It's just a little finicky. And I remember dying multiple times at one point on this one platforming part. And if you're going for the secret areas, a lot of times you have to do more complex platforming. So it might have just been the secret areas where I got stuck. Uh, But that is my main complaint with Doom Eternal. Um, But that makes me totally remember too. One of my favorite things about Doom Eternal, the secrets. A train. Doom Eternal has secrets up the yim yam. Literally so many secrets. And they are scattered out throughout each level. There's tons of secret content to find, tons of hidden rooms, tons of walls to smash. They do this Zelda-esque thing where you will see a wall that's got like this crumbling pattern on it, and it's kind of hard to notice unless you're looking out for it. Um, But if you punch that wall, you can go straight through it, and that'll be where a secret room is, or they'll do it on the ceiling, or... You'll have to climb through an air vent and navigate through a maze like air vent, stuff like that. Um And the secrets are very well hidden and they're very cool. There's lots of like you can collect figurines of all of the enemies and then you, at your base, uh the Fortress of Doom, uh which acts as like a hub world for the game. Um You can actually go to this wall and you can see all the figurines you collect. Well, then you can also click on the figurines and it lets you view both the figurine model up close as well as the actual enemy that the figurine represents model really up close and you can just admire all the detail that the devs had to put into the enemies for the game. Same thing goes with weapons. There's a weapon wall where you can do the same thing. Um, Other secrets you can collect. You can collect different music files uh, and it has all sorts of references to music and games all across id's library. Um, stuff from Doom 1, 2, 3, stuff from Doom 2016, uh, a couple of songs from Wolfenstein, a couple of songs from Commander Keem, uh, there's lots of good shit in there. Uh, there's also cheat codes, which you can use when you replay levels to get all the collectibles, you can use these cheat codes to make it easier for yourself, or just make yourself feel like a badass and have a badass run where you have, like, Super Slayer mode or Infinite Health or Infinite Ammo. It's really, really cool. Um, and then there's also these little lore pieces you can pick up uh, where if you really wanted to, you could sit down and read all about the history of Doom and, like, all of the lore pieces and everything. Honestly, the the story of Doom isn't as interesting to me as the aesthetic and the gameplay. I, I love the aesthetic. I love the gameplay. But the story I couldn't care too much about. It was interesting, but not, like to the point where I felt super invested to read all of those uh entries. I collected as many of them as I could though, um because I was trying to get a bit of a good completion going. And now that I've beat the game, I realize that I only have a little bit left to collect honestly. If I put another like 10 hours into the game, I could 100% the game fairly easily and I it might be worth it. I know spoilers as well real quick just skip ahead like a minute if you don't want to hear this spoiler um but unlocking all of the predator suit tokens uh and spending them all will allow you to play the original doom on the doom slayers uh old pc inside of the fortress of doom and there's also a cheat code that you have to type in to unlock doom 2 as well and those are pretty cool and rewarding I don't know if there's anything else in the game, though, because I actually did not look it up. I was more just interested in going into this game blind, which is the way I recommend going into it. Uh, It's such a great game, and I would totally wait for a sale because the summer sale is coming up, and it might go on sale there, or even then any other sale for that matter. Otherwise, just go ahead and pick it up right now. It's totally worth the 60 that it costs, and it's such a fun game, and it's great to just fucking shut your brain off, too. And the music is so good. If you like heavy metal, Doom Eternal, uh, the song uh, The Only Thing They Fear Is You, is so good. Literally, it's so good. It's probably some of the best heavy metal I've ever listened to. And I actually like a bit of heavy metal, so that's saying something. But yeah, Doom Eternal. Uh coming out later this year on the Switch. RNA available on PC, PS4, Xbox One. Probably will get ported to the later gen, the upcoming new gen of consoles. Really good game. Definitely recommend. Check it out folks. So yeah, anyway guys, um, that's probably about it for this episode. I know this episode's been kind of all over the place, uh, and honestly, uh, there's nothing to blame for that but myself and my inability to sit down and properly record one of these. Um, Since I'm not driving, you know, two hours there and back to school every day, I definitely have a lot less time to sit and make a focused straightforward episode you know it's it's a lot harder to keep my thoughts going over the course of multiple days versus just one day of recording the entire way there and back to school but either way it's been fun getting these podcast episodes out and I feel like at least the doom eternal part of this podcast was somewhat coherent and entertaining Uh, otherwise the rest is a bit of a mixed bag I'm sure I repeated myself multiple times because I recorded that episode over the course of almost a half a month or so, Uh, but yeah, it's done now, and I have an idea for the next episode, Um, and I'm hoping to get started on that real soon, so that should just about do it for this episode of the Switch Podcast. Thank you all for watching, and you have yourselves a lovely Monday and a lovely rest of your week. Adios.